It's good to be together this morning, isn't it? It's good to carve out this time, to carve out this space, to come together as the people of God, to to experience worship together, to experience community together. And if you are a guest with us, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, but it is an honor to get to have you and your families here today. You know, these are the moments in our services where we're gonna come around the scriptures. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that it is relevant for us today. And so we look to these moments as a community to come around this book, to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ and how are we to learn to walk with the spirit of God each and every day. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm gonna invite you to open up to the book of 1 Peter. Scriptures will be up on the screen if you wanna follow there, but we're gonna remain standing as we read the word together. This is 1 Peter chapter two. The word of the Lord would say this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. For those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Father, take this word and sink it deep into our hearts. Lord God, I pray that even today we would begin to get a fresh vision for the church, a fresh vision for who you have called us to be. And right now, God, I would just ask that any distraction that might be going on in our minds, Lord, may you with your Holy Spirit's power begin to limit those so that we can fully receive what it is that you would see fit for us in this moment. And so Father, we love you and we worship you. Be with us today in your name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated this morning. This past week I opened up our refrigerator and there was a head of lettuce sitting there in a little container. And off of the lettuce was dangling a spider. And so I I, I took a look at this lettuce nice and close and not only was there a spider dangling off it, there were flies in the lettuce. And not only were there flies, but there was also dirt at the bottom of the container. And so I looked at my wife, I said, sweetie, what the, this is gross, this lettuce. And she didn't seem too concerned, which I found really odd because she does not like spiders. I've seen spiders in her home and she absolutely freaks out. But for some reason, she wasn't concerned that it was on this lettuce. And 
The reason why is she let me know, well, Daniel, it's because it's organic. I said, what do you mean it's organic? Like, you mean we pay extra so it has spiders and flies and dirt on it? You've got to be kidding me. Well, Daniel, there's no pesticides on it. You know, I think I might take some of the pesticides, to be honest. I don't want lettuce with spiders. I don't want it with flies. I do not want it with dirt. By the way, it's also really expensive. I've seen the Fred Meyer receipt. So I've made a decision. I'm out on organic lettuce. I'm not doing it. In fact, if I were to go to a restaurant today after church and they were to bring me a salad, I would ask them, is this organic lettuce? Yes, sir, it is. Well, get it out of here. I don't want it. I'm not interested in your organic lettuce. I'm not interested in the flies or the spider or the dirt. Now, there's something very human about that type of response. Uh, Albert Ellis was kind of the the grandfather of cognitive therapies. And, And one of his thoughts was around this idea that our behaviors are the consequences of our beliefs which are shaped by activating events. Now, that might sound familiar to you. You've been around Calvary for any amount of time. You have probably heard Pastor Ray share that our experiences lead to our beliefs, which lead to our actions in our life, which ultimately lead to the overall result of our life. So, for example, using his thesis in that theory, my not wanting to buy organic is the consequence of my belief that buying organic is not worth it. Not only because it's expensive, but also it is bug riddled. And therefore, what shaped this activating event of seeing on the head of lettuce was the spider, the flies, the dirt, and also the Fred Meyer receipt. So therefore, based upon the event, based upon this belief that's being built, I no longer am going to allow us to buy organic lettuce. Now that's probably not true, but that's just what I'm gonna tell you in this moment. Now, in the grand scheme of life, whether or not I buy organic lettuce does not really matter. It's really not that big of a deal. But what if you apply this thesis to more significant realities of the human experience? What about an event or an experience that may lead to a false belief about God and may consequently lead to one's maybe rejection of God? Uh, Let's actually bring it into the context of what we are doing right now. Right now, we are gathering together as the local church. So I might ask us this morning, the church, what might people falsely believe about God based upon their experiences with the people of God? What might the culture around us begin to believe about the character of God and who God is based upon their interaction with you and I, based upon the realities of how we operate as people? Because it is very likely that someone's experience with the church has or could lead to false beliefs about God that consequently could have significant implications on the outcome of their life. A.W. Tozier said it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God is one of the most important things about you. So again, we have to ask the question, how has the church affected what comes into the minds of people when they think about God? 
when we respond to maybe our politician not being elected, or when we respond to things like a health crisis, when we respond to things like the difficulties that we've faced over the last coming years, how has that transpired or shifted or changed the way people feel or think about God based upon their experience with us, his church? And if this is not something that we are thinking about or pondering or asking, I really think that it needs to be. Because if we believe that Jesus is king, that means that we have to submit to his kingship, which also means that we have to surrender our lives to being willing to operate and live a life lived in the kingdom of God. And with living within the constructs of the kingdom of God, there are certain realities for us as believers. There is a vision that God has for his church. There is a way that we are to operate, a way that we are to speak, a way that we are to move and be about this life that God has offered us that is supposed to have a clear distinction that we are those who are set apart, that we are those who are consecrated for a special purpose. Now, what might that purpose be? See, this is the beautiful thing, church. We don't have to wonder what God's vision is for the church. We don't have to ponder what it is. We don't have to speculate what it is. The The Lord of the heavens and the earth has given us his word so that we can be able to clearly see exactly how this ought to be. Which is why I love the text that we read earlier from the apostle Peter. I think Peter here does such a beautiful job of speaking about the reality of what we are called to as the body of Christ. See friends, I think that we need a realignment with God's vision for the church. I think that we need to re-surrender to God's vision for the church. And again, we don't have to imagine what it is. We actually get to see and read in the pages of scripture. So Peter begins and he says these words, speaking to a number of different congregations, and I believe to us today, so put away all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Peter begins by using the word so. In some of your translations, it might say therefore. And in really good Bible study, one of the things that you have to realize is that when you see the word therefore, you always have to go back. You gotta go back. What has he just spoken on? Because ultimately, what he has just communicated is going to be setting up and kind of delivering the foundation for which it is that he's going to next. So we gotta go back to the first chapter. And I think one of the beautiful things we can do is pull out this this verse, verse three and four of his first part of his letter because I think it speaks beautifully as to what that therefore is. First Peter one, verses three and four, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter is beginning in his letter to talk about the reality of our new birth, that through Christ's death and burial and resurrection, we have on offer to us an eternal life. And this is not just an everlasting life, but is one that can begin to be experienced now by participating in a certain quality of life that is beyond our capacity to bear without the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can begin to participate in this eternal type of life even now. And this new birth is a reality for those who have professed faith in Jesus. And so based upon those realities of this new birth in Christ, Peter says then you need to put away some certain attributes. 
and characteristics of humanity. You need to put away malice. You need to put away deceit. You need to put away hypocrisy. How often have you heard that of the church, that they're just filled with a bunch of hypocrites? Well, that no longer needs to be part of who we are as a church. We've been asked to put it away. Or envy or slander. He continues in verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. These certain negative aspects of humanity, malice and hypocrisy are to be put away in the life of a believer and that we are to long for the pure spiritual milk. He's talking about longing for the pure word of the Lord. To long here here is to desire something with all of our being. We should have a deep passion and desire to grow in our salvation based upon the word of God. Now this ability to put aside and this stepping into this maturity, this growth in the word of God, it hinges on this reality and he shares it in verse three. He says, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I love that because what he's reminding the reader saying, hey, listen, yes, we are to put these attributes away that do not align with the way of Jesus. And we are to grow in maturity. We are to grow into our salvation. And you ought to do this because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That you have taken time to ponder the realities of God who created the heavens and the earth. You have pondered the realities that God would send his son to die on a cross to save us from our sin that we could not do on our own. And based upon those spiritual realities, if you have tasted and seen, by the way, he's referencing Psalm 34 verse eight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then therefore you should want to put these things away. You should want to grow in your maturity because that is your call as the church. So maybe for us this morning, have you given your soul space recently to taste and see that the Lord is good? Have you slowed yourself down maybe in moments throughout the day just to to think about God? to dwell on his goodness, to receive new mercies from him. So if we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, our response then is to move towards him, him being Jesus. And Peter would communicate this as saying those words, we are to come to him. Verse four, as you come to him, coming to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to him, it indicates a a daily personal relationship with Jesus. Our growing up in salvation might begin with belief, but it continues in our abiding with Jesus. Spiritual maturity is found in our daily recognition of our union with Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, but then it is moved towards communion with Christ through obedience to abide with him. We are called to abide with Jesus. We are called to spend time in our days being close to Jesus, near to Jesus. We do that through the word. We do that through prayer. We do that through opportunities like this where we come together to hear the word being spoken. He then goes on to say, you yourself like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, something we need to realize about the writings of Peter, he oftentimes uses language and imagery from the Old Testament and he brings it into the New Testament. So for some of us, the idea of a priesthood or the idea of sacrifices, that is going to be a little bit unfamiliar, but we're gonna go ahead and kind of contextualize it to what God might be speaking to the New Testament church today. But before we do that, we have to make this understanding very, very clear. God is building something. God is building something. He is desiring to build something. The question is not whether God is doing something in the world right now. The question is, will his church, will will individuals who have professed faith in Christ, will they be part of that building project? Will they be part of what God is building? He is building a, a spiritual house. See, friends, we are not just simply waiting for heaven. We are even now part of God's plan to renew all things. We are not just waiting for eternity to take place. We are participating in that eternal life now. So what does this spiritual house look like? What's the church supposed to look like? Well, within the construct of the spiritual house in which God is building, we are called to be two things, he says, to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, here's what we need to realize. In the Old Testament, priests were given four privileges and four responsibilities. They were, they were a mediator between people and God. In a sense, you can look at them kind of like a bridge builder. For the things that they were responsible for, they had direct access into the presence of God. They also were the ones who could offer up the sacrifices. Now, these were sacrifices to atone for sin, to express gratitude, to even express praise. They also represented the people before God, and they represented God before the people. And in the Old Testament, only certain individuals who were born into a certain tribe could be priests. Now, this is the beauty of what Peter is saying, that all who have been reborn into the family of God, all who have professed faith in Jesus, all who make up the church, are now priests who are called to participate in similar responsibilities and privileges. Even now, the church is to operate as a holy priesthood. Because each one of us has direct access to the presence of God. You don't have to wait for a priest or a pastor. If you profess faith in Jesus, the indwelling of God's spirit is in you. You have access through the blood of Jesus to be in the presence of God, to walk with his spirit. That is a beautiful reality for those of us who make up the church who have said yes to Jesus. Also, each one of us is called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, No one get nervous because this is not to atone for sin. There's not a goat about to walk up on the platform and think it's gonna get real wild here in a moment. No, see, Jesus took care of that. He was the precious lamb of God who was slain. But we get to offer up things like a sacrifice of, of praise. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Those of us who make up the church, we are called to profess praise to God throughout each and every day. 
If the only time that on your lips you are praising God, speaking about realities of who God is, speaking about the truth of who God is, if the only time you say that Jesus is the cornerstone is in this room, you are missing out on a beautiful opportunity to offer God at all times a sacrifice of praise. As you're driving to work, you get to offer a sacrifice of praise. As you are in the kitchen making a meal, you get to offer God a sacrifice of praise. Maybe before you discipline your child, you first offer God a sacrifice of praise. Oh, Lord, be with me. (laughs) Not only is there the call to a sacrifice of praise, but also to a sacrifice of resource. Hebrews 13, 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Friends, in comparison to much of the world, we are very, very blessed. You may at times not feel that, but you are. And God has entrusted us with much, but to whom much is given, much is required. And we are not called to, maybe because of insecurity, hold on to our resource, but we are to, with open hands, say, God, what might you want to do with this resource? When we look at situations like what is going on in Ukraine, we might say, you know what, God, you have given me much. How might I be a blessing to this group of people whose lives are being absolutely flipped upside down right now? I may not be able to realize in this country what that would be like, but Lord God, what might be my call to participate in your work over there? but we have to be able to let go to offer a sacrifice of resource. We also have to be willing to sacrifice of repentance and confession. Psalm 51, 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Friends, there's a great opportunity for us as believers to be able to have moments where we confess when we have done things wrong. And let me tell you, church, the church has done things wrong at times. There have been some things that have been connected to the church that's really not the heart of God for the church. And there are times to confess of that. There's also individual times of repentance that needs to take place. Full transparency. Yesterday on the way to church, as I was getting ready to preach this weekend, me and my wife got in a little bit of a tift, so to speak. And I said something I shouldn't have said. And our son was sleeping in the car, so me and my daughter walked in here, and I was about to lead our team into pre-service prayer. But you know what I realized? That I can't do that until I go confess and repent and say sorry and ask for forgiveness for my wife. So before we got to pray, I had to walk out of this room, I had to go back to the parking lot, I had to say, Jess, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. Because I can't stand here and do this knowing that I don't have a pure heart before God saying that I have confessed what needs to be confessed. And that is a beautiful reality for us as believers. Husbands, you have a beautiful opportunity in the moments where you mess up to say, you know what, I need to ask for repentance and forgiveness and I need to move forward and I need to be real about what I just did and what I just said. We also have to sacrifice our whole self. Romans 12, one, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
It's not just about praise or resource or confession or repentance. We ought to be offering all of who we are to God, all of our capacity, all of our being. See, church, we don't get to compartmentalize what aspects of ourselves that we offer up to God. There is this concept kind of taking place right now It's like a DIY faith, kind of do-it-yourself faith, where I'm gonna trust God with this part of my life, with this part of my life, but over here, I'm gonna hold on to these things because somehow I think I can trust my own human instinct to know what is best for me over the God who created all things, which is the biggest lie that we have ever told ourselves, but here we are. See, we don't get to pick and choose what aspects of our existence that we give over to God. We say, God, I will even give you this. There might be areas of your life where maybe right now God has not drawn to your attention, but maybe in the coming months you might say, you know what, God, there's something, I've never thought about this, but I need to offer this now to you. Will you respond in that moment when that happens? Will you be willing to sacrifice that? So not only are we called to sacrifice in those areas, we're also, each of us is called to represent the people. You know that you have this great opportunity to practice intercession? That you have this great opportunity to actually be praying for people on the behalf of certain people taking their needs to God? How might that begin to change your workplace, your family, your marriage, your friendships if that you were taking time in your weeks to intercede on the behalf of others? Dear God, I give you grandma. I give you this disease that is in her body right now. Father, if it is in your will, would you heal her? Or Lord God, I see my parents in their marriage and yes, they might be staying together, but I want them to be in a deep love for one another. Would you touch their hearts? Would you touch their lives? Maybe the people amongst you who you may not agree with or you don't see the world the way that they see it, would you also be willing to pray for them, to intercede on their behalf that God might touch them and do a unique thing in their life? We have this beautiful opportunity to be people who sacrifice with prayer and intercession to represent people before God. But not only that, each of us represents God to the people. See, we are called to embody the characteristics of Jesus to the world around us. We are called to represent the beauty of God to people around us. That means that people are watching us the way that we interact, the way that we speak, the things that we watch, the things that we do. There are times where the church looks awfully close to culture and there's something that needs to be shifted here because we have called to a holy priesthood, called to be people of distinction, as I say all the time, to live out a different alternative to what the culture has on offer. Now, it's interesting because when we kicked off this series I talked about how oftentimes culture without God will make the purpose of life to be happy. Do any of you remember that conversation? And what we said was that oftentimes this pursuit without God to finding purpose in life to be happy is made up in these three ways. It's experiential, it's consumeristic, and it's therapeutic, right? Acquire good experience, acquire high value possessions, acquire good feelings, Now, the reason why I bring that up is because as I was studying, I had this thought. How has that ideology seeped into and affected what we think the purpose of the church is? 
Are we here only because this is a good experience and the minute that it's not, we're out? Are we here just to consume more? That in the West, especially in America, we just love to consume and and this is just part of our spiritual consumption along with all the other consumption that we do? Are we here only to feel better? See, look at what Peter has just written about the church, that we are a holy priesthood, that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices of praise, of our resources, of, of repentance, of confession, that we are to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And we are to intercede on the behalf of others and confirm that our lives represent the beauty of who God is. And to be honest with you, that vision seems very counter to how much of the church operates. For some, the church has become just another consumeristic, experiential, and therapeutic pursuit. So is our personal involvement with the church consumeristic? Are we more about acquiring than offering a sacrifice of resource and praise? Is our involvement with the church experiential, where we love the worship, we love the community, but are less about the sacrifice of repentance and confession? Is our involvement with the church, is our vision for the church therapeutic? Are we just here to acquire a good feeling as long as they can be had without having to sacrifice our whole self to God? Mark Sayers says it like this, what if we have created churches that enable people to get as close to the earth, the world, as possible, with a foot in the reassurance of heaven. But people are not transformed, where people don't change, where the Holy Spirit does not come with power. The kinds of churches that are going to just hold on and survive until the inevitable happens. Can I just be honest with you? I don't want to just hold on and survive. I'm not just here waiting for Jesus to return. I cannot wait for that reality. I look forward to the return of Jesus. I look forward to him wiping away every tear, making all things new. That is going to be a beautiful day. But I'm not just waiting for that. I am participating in God's renewal of all things even now. And there are times where the church, to be honest with you, we've gotten a little bit lazy with fulfilling God's purpose for us. And there are times where we've been distracted. There's times where we've picked up up other causes instead of the cause of Christ. And it's time to begin to be captivated by the beauty of the story of God and then live in that story and begin to shift and change things around us. We're not just waiting for something. We're not just holding on. We're participating in what God wants to do right now. And all that we are called to is securely firm on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what it has to be. Peter continues to say in verse six, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In ancient buildings, there would be the foundation, but first situated would be the cornerstone. 
And everything else would align to the cornerstone. This is a beautiful picture for the church right now, that Jesus is that cornerstone. And are we aligning our lives with the reality of that stone? He would go on to say that the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. See, friends, Jesus was rejected by Israel because to Israel, he did not fit. He didn't fit their vision for the future. He didn't fit what they thought that they needed and wanted. He did not fit what they thought the Messiah would be. And for many of us, Jesus is not seen as the firm foundation. He is seen as a roadblock to our personal life building project. And part of why Jesus is still rejected today is that he often does not fit into our vision for human flourishing. But we are the church and therefore we ought to have no other foundation but Jesus Christ. We don't have any other option. That is it for us. And if you can't rally around that beautiful biblical reality, you are going to struggle to participate in the church because Jesus is all we have. It's all we have. It's all we got. It's the essence of who we are. And we can try to have Jesus be a partial cornerstone. We can try to pick out certain realities of Jesus and build off of that, but it will not work. And you will still be longing for a satisfaction that you cannot have unless you fully give it all to him. And what the world needs to see from you is a church that allows Jesus to be the whole cornerstone to fully align with the beauty and the reality of who he is. Because why? Because we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we believe in him with all of our being. And we have received from him. And we now commit to following him and being on a mission with him to be a chosen race, to be a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation, to proclaim his excellencies to all around us. Now we've talked about a royal priesthood, we've talked about spiritual sacrifices, but I wanna end here talking about this idea of a holy nation. You know, we're called to holiness. We're called to be set apart. Sometimes I think that we, we don't feel that that is possible, but the reality is as Christ has died on the cross for us as we've received God's spirit, we are empowered to live out the life that God has called us to. And part of the life God has called us to is to be holy. In 1904, there was a revival that took place in Wales. Tens of thousands of people came to know Jesus, came to receive their salvation. But like most renewals, there's always a spark There's always something that happens. In this case, the spark was from a young man named Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts 
have this desire to see God move in a unique way. After a church service, he got 17 young people together and they just began to pray. And as they began to pray, here is what the Lord began to challenge them with. One, you must put away any unconfessed sin. Two, you must put away any doubtful habit. Three, you must obey the Spirit promptly. Four, you must confess Christ publicly. See, the reality is what the Lord was calling them to was holiness, was calling them to righteousness. Seven times in Peter's first letter, he talks about holiness, to be holy. First Peter 1, 15 through 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Paul to the church in Ephesus, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Friends, we will end right here. We oftentimes talk about wanting revival, wanting renewal, all of that. And let me tell you, I want that too. I wanna see a new great awakening. I want to see God do something significant. I wanna see it begin right here. I wanna see something about the way God can move and operate in the people of Calvary Community Church to begin to unleash something unique in this valley. But let me tell you, I believe that a future move of God has nothing to do with the church being culturally relevant and everything to do with our submission to being biblical and holy. See, what happens when we walk in holiness and righteousness and purity, God then can say, you know what? I can release my spirit because I can do a unique work through this group of people. I can begin a new renewal work in the midst of this valley and Sumner and Puyallup and Bonnie Lake and Ording and, and Edgewood and Tacoma, all of this area, because there's a group of people who would say, yes, we will be set apart. We will sacrifice. We will put things aside so that we can walk in holiness and surrender to God and to be used by him in mighty and powerful ways. Friends, that's what I wanna be part of. Is that what you wanna be part of today? Do you wanna see what God might want to do? I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet. And Lord, as we just stand here, we're going to just ask that you would, you would speak to us, Lord. That you would draw our hearts to the goodness of your son. That even right now, some would taste and see that the Lord is good for maybe the very first time. And Lord, might there be some in this room right now who would make that decision to say yes to Jesus, to receive the free gift of salvation. Maybe someone even watching online right now might be saying, yes, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I wanna believe in him, receive from him, follow after him, be on mission with him. I wanna be part of what he is building. I want him to be my firm foundation. Lord, whatever it is that each one of us needs to hear today, may it be so. May the conviction that we sense right now, may we relish in that for a moment. It's good to be convicted. The Holy Spirit is trying to speak something to some of us. Receive that today. 
And Lord, we would just simply ask that you would have your way in the midst of this group of people, Lord. May people who see this church and this group of people, may they see a beautiful reflection of who you are. And might the the beliefs that they begin to build about who you are be pure and righteous and real and truthful based upon how we operate how we have chosen to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. Jesus, may you be our cornerstone. May you be that firm foundation.